Subscribe with iTunes, Audio Boom, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. And if you enjoy what you hear, like us on Facebook. Also, consider throwing a little cash our way by visiting patreon.com slash koreafm. And find more of our great content on our home on the web, koreafm.net. Recently, a piece appeared on nknews.org that directly made light of how U.S. President Donald Trump has influenced what's going on here on the Korean Peninsula, and uh, it really didn't paint the new president in a very good light. Under the title, How Donald Trump is Seriously Undermining the South Korea-U.S. Alliance, the article begins with a description of how things generally operate here regarding North Korea, noting that, As long as North Korea is able to make life a living hell for whoever attempts to engage in regime change or regime collapse, it'll always have that assurance that they will not be pushed too hard, and continues that for this reason, the United States and South Korea, and Japan to a certain extent, have coordinated closely over the years to deter North Korea as much as possible. However, the article is quick to note that things have now changed, and after Donald Trump's election victory, quote, it has been nothing but one bumbling fiasco after another. So, I'm joined now by John Lee, an nknews.org writer and political blogger focusing on economic and political issues as they pertain to Korea and the United States, to discuss his article and what he thinks of the current situation we've now found ourselves in, where U.S. and Japanese vessels are within striking distance of South and North Korea, but at the same time, China appears to be putting more pressure on the DPRK than ever before to stop what the South Korean media loves to call provocations, and perhaps even denuclearize itself. So, John, great to have you here on the program. We have a lot to discuss, so great to have you joining me. Glad to be here. So this article is really straightforward, um, especially for someone who might not be familiar with kind of the status quo, as I mentioned at the beginning of how North Korea operates and kind of is able to do. I'm not sure if even if I should say within reason, because they do a lot of things that people would say would be unreasonable, but they can kind of do, as you mentioned, whatever they want to a certain extent. Um, And because of that, the allies of the area who have formed relationships are trying to keep them in check. However, things are now very different. A lot of things are now very different because of U.S. President Donald Trump recently elected to office. So if we could, let's talk about generally what's going on here, how things are kind of held in check, and then move into how things are now different uh, due to this, as you quoted, one bumbling fiasco after another coming from the Trump administration. Well, traditionally, as far as um, diplomacy and threats of war goes within this Northeast Asian region, it has always stuck by a very specific script. All of the allied nations, and by allied nations, I mean Korea, Japan, and the U.S., well, nominally between Korea and uh, Japan, these countries would get together and they would formulate policies. And the policies that they would normally come up with is sanctions and deterrence in order to maintain the status quo as much as possible. Because upending the status quo could result in untold disasters. However, unfortunately, with the new president in the White House, There doesn't seem to be much coherence coming out of uh, uh, Donald Trump's uh, White House right now. It seems to be just one random tweet after another, and he's just trying to pick out which of those tweets that's getting the most traction among voters or among the uh, established media. For example, he said that uh, Kim Jong-un was a bad dude, that his uh, missile uh, launches will not reach the U.S. without going into kind of specifics. And later on, he said that uh, by testing the missiles, uh, Kim Jong-un had, um, di- had dishonored China. 
And of course, that he would be honored to meet Kim Jong Un if the rights conditions were met.、And、yeah, that's so, kind of a, a newer thing that just came out that really upset a lot of people. It has, and so there isn't any coherence coming out of the White House right now. And without this coherence, and it's not just a lack of coherence right now. It's also instead of.、Uh, Having a united front with South Korea and Japan, he's also attacking South Korea. Whereas,、uh, whether it is talking about his threats to、uh, upend the Corus FTA,、uh, the free trade agreement between Korea and the United States, or if it is、uh, his suggestion,、uh, which was later、uh, backpedaled by the, the U.S. National Security Advisor, that South Korea would be forced to pay for the that missile defense, which had not. Been the part of the deal from the get go, he has upset a lot of South Koreans, and especially with this new incoming South Korean government that will be here within a week, we're not exactly quite sure what the stand,、uh, what the relationship will be like. So yeah, before we dig a little deeper here and kind of go through, you have to do a timeline with Donald Trump because you have to show where he was, <laughs> even before he was president, candidate Donald Trump,、um, then where he moved to, and then where he is now. I guess to play devil's advocate a little bit, you know,、um, you're much more knowledgeable on a lot of these issues than I ever will be. But I've lived here in South Korea for a good amount of time, and、um, it's no secret that、um, the status quo of the past ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five years, a lot of people have disagreed with that. Because during that time, well, if you will, we've had these checks and balances to try to prevent all-out war on the peninsula, which no one wants. North Korea has developed nuclear weapons. They're continuing to develop long-range ballistic missiles. So,、um, I guess, what are your thoughts on the fact that while you might not agree with what Trump's doing, perhaps you could play devil's advocate as I'm doing here and say that what we've been doing so far has prevented total war from occurring, but it hasn't prevented North Korea from getting nuclear weapons. It hasn't prevented North Korea from continuing to extend its technology to perhaps one day、uh, make good on these threats that they would, you know, nuke the United States. Throughout the decades, as、um, in insofar as dealing with North Korea goes, various tactics have been used:、uh, sanctions, diplomatic、um, isolation,、uh, as well as engagements. They've all been tried before, and it doesn't matter whom you're talking to, whether you're talking to someone who is a very hardcore sanction supporter or who is a dove who wants to expand engagement. Both sides will continue to insist. That the reason why their tactics have not worked is because it wasn't followed through properly. So we're kind of in this.、Um, we're in the middle game. You know, it's like legislation in any country in the United States. If you don't go for core ideas, you get a watered down version. You're not getting either side. You're getting, as I just mentioned, kind of a watered down version. Perhaps that's not good enough for anyone. Perhaps so, but this is po- politics. We as Eventually, compromise will have to be made. If you go completely the way、uh, the sanction supporters want and just completely isolate North Korea, there's an old saying that、uh, even a cornered rat will fight back. And so you don't want to corner North Korea too much. But if you want to go all the way to the engagement side and say, "Oh, let's just give the North Koreans everything that they want," well, the North that that would be rewarding、uh, a nation that. Imprisons and tortures millions of people,、uh, or you know, watches while millions of their own people starve to death. Absolutely, I mean the human rights violations have been documented not only by third parties, NGOs, nonprofits, but the United Nations within the last five or so years has really come down on North Korea. Sure, and so the unfortunate fact of the matter is that neither side can be pursued ideologically consistently, and so what we've had is watered down versions of different、uh, strategies that have been used. But you're right in the sense that 
regardless of what we've tried to do so far, no, it has not stopped the North Koreans from developing their missiles and their nuclear weapons technologies. Well, let's go from something watered down to, as you say, one bumbling fiasco after another. Perhaps people would be happy to have a watered down Donald Trump. So let's kind of talk about, um, you, you didn't talk about this so much in your article, but um, I know you, you followed this, um, dealing so much with the Korean Peninsula as you do. Um, what was Donald Trump saying as a candidate? And then let's move into early presidency and then today, regarding obviously the Korean Peninsula. While Donald Trump was campaigning to be president, he spoke more about South Korea than he did about North Korea. When it comes to North Korea, all he said was that uh, there's just some bad dudes. And I believe at one point he said that he'd be willing to have a hamburger with Kim Jong-un at one point. It's one of the more ridiculous things that he said. But that's just about the extent of what he said about North Korea. When it came to South Korea, he was a lot more specific and a lot harsher. He said that the Chorus FTA, the, the Korea-U.S. Free Trade Agreement, is a job-killing deal that has resulted in trade deficits for the U.S. And he has always implied that it's because of unfair trade practices that the South Koreans have engaged in. Now, that is not entirely accurate. In fact, there are many different reasons why a trade imbalance would occur even, uh, even among two countries that have an FTA. Such reasons could include um, currency fluctuations or just uh, cultural needs. For example, American cars don't really sell well in Korea, and that's because American cars tend to be bigger and, you know, stereotypically, they tend to be gas guzzlers. And so for a lot of these different reasons, there is some, there's definitely trade imbalances, but it's not necessarily because it is inherently unfair. But Trump has always said that it's unfair. And so because of the rhetoric that he has used, especially with Republican American voters today, there is a lot of uh, there are a lot of voters who are feeling resentment towards South Korea and are thinking, well, why are we there to, uh, um, to protect the South Koreans when there's when they're stealing our jobs? And he is whether he has intended to do it or not. Donald Trump has eroded not undermined completely, but at least eroded a lot of the trust between the, the, um, between the American and the Korean people. Let's talk a little bit about that resentment that you just mentioned, something else I believe that came up um, when he was a candidate. So um, pre-electoral winner, I should point out, not popular vote, but before he won the Electoral College um, to then become the president of the United States, Donald Trump talked about the cost, I believe, right, of, of housing and, and having and operating the United States forces that are here, which is not entirely covered by the South Korean government. No, it is not. Um, now... The numbers uh, change depending on whom you ask. But according to one source, the South Korean government pays about $900 million per year for the American military presence in the uh, Korean Peninsula. Now, th this number might not be accurate. So I, I'm not going to say that this uh, number is has got to be etched in stone. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I believe I've seen it somewhere around half or a little more than half, but generally around that 50 to 60% range. Would that be probably accurate to think? Yes, I believe so. And so the South Korean government has been paying uh, the United States uh, government for its military presence in the Korean Peninsula. Now, when Donald, Donald Trump for a long time during the campaign said the South Koreans don't pay anything, they don't pay anything. And when he was finally corrected on the record that the South Korean government does pay a lot of money into the, uh, for, uh, to the U.S. government, he then said, oh, really? Then why doesn't the South Korean government pay for all of it? Why, why, why not pay 100% of the costs? And when he says that, two things immediately come to mind for, for, from a Korean. 
the, the average Korean will think, oh, so Donald Trump is now treating the U.S. military like as though it's a, it's a mercenary army. And so um, um, they're not here for their own interests. They're here just to collect a paycheck. And the second thing that the South Koreans are also thinking is, hey, we're also paying and we're also sacrificing. After all, this alliance with the U.S. is it's not just it's it's not a better it's not entirely a bed of roses. Sometimes the United States has to compromise. Sometimes the South Koreans have to compromise. And all of this is not taken into account when he just says then South Korea should pay for all of it. And so a, a bit of resentment is being built uh, among the South Korean voters as well. And then to talk about resentment from the other side, not from the United States, but from the South Korean people, as you just pointed out, um, I think it's fair to say that um, there are more than a few people here who don't have a positive view of military forces from the U.S., perhaps um, less positive in the past. There were, I think, you know, before my time of coming to South Korea, um, there seemed to be a lot more um, strife between the two sides, if you will. There are some highly criticized actions. There was some loss of life. Um, so without going to, into details, um, there are a lot of Koreans who might not have a great view of the troops here. If you're going to compare 2017 to, let's say, um, 1950, yes, there is uh, obviously an increased number of people in South Korea who do not think of the United States as a welcoming force anymore. However, if we also compare 2017 to, let's say, 2004, then there are definitely fewer anti-American protesters and people who are holding negative views about American soldiers than, than the number that existed in 2004. And so although there is a, certainly a number of people who uh, are opposed to American military presence, at least in the recent past, that number has diminished somewhat. And so you'd think that that would be a positive uh, movement, a positive trend between, as you pointed out, allies in the area. Um, you know, one ally having thousands uh, of, of troops here, um, lots of infrastructure, you know, decades long influence on the Korean Peninsula. And then South Korea, obviously, you know, this is the country itself. That would be a positive development to see that strife kind of going away since I believe you said 2004. However, the case you're making in this article, and let's continue now with some of the things that Donald Trump has said as the commander in chief of the United States um, that's kind of turning that around. And you're arguing that he's really alienated uh, both South Korean people and, and the lawmakers, the government in place. As I mentioned earlier, in 2004, there were quite a bit of uh, strong anti-American feelings in uh, South Korea. But since 2004, and it's taken over a decade, that feeling, that sentiment has, uh, has started to dwindle. And now there, there's, obvi there's obviously still a hardcore group of South Koreans who still remain anti-American. But that number has fallen. However, because of Trump's rhetoric regarding the free trade deal, uh, regarding uh, how regarding THAAD, regarding who should pay for it. And a lot of this, um, oh, and another thing that uh, Trump mentioned was that how South, uh, not just South Korea, but the entire Korean Peninsula was actually a part of China. Yeah, that was another gaffe that he threw out there um, within the last couple of weeks, yeah. Yes, it was. And all of these things are adding up and people are starting to think that they cannot trust Trump. And whether this is for, for good or whether this is good or not, this is going to make it much easier for the future South Korean government to be more standoffish regarding its relationship with the United States government. Now, Moon Jae-in, who is the most likely uh, candidate to win the presidential election in the next five days, 
used was uh, in the government uh, back in 2004. He was the former, uh, he was the president's chief of staff at the time. And so he's no stranger to anti-American sentiments or anti-American politics. And especially with a man with that kind of experience, becoming the next president of South Korea, and Trump making it so much easier for the South Korean people and South Korean lawmakers to take another look at the alliance with the United States, Moon Jae-in would be so incredibly tempted to go back to his old ways, which could result in a much more frayed relationship between Seoul and Washington. Could you talk a little bit about how Japan and South Korea are allies, but it's a very different relationship than the United States and South Korea. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning here, um, I believe some um, vessels from the Japanese Navy are now working in conjunction with this uh, strike force that's uh, within striking distance of the Korean Peninsula from the United States. Um, uh, could you talk a little bit about how, how Japan plays into here? Um, I, I guess I'm trying to say that a lot of people in South Korea, they're obviously... Um, I don't know if you want to say fearful, because there's countless articles that are out there talking about how South Koreans, even when provocations happen from North Korea, it a lot of the times doesn't come into their daily life. It's not something they worry about. They've been living with this their entire lives. But when Japan gets involved, sometimes that does create increased tensions for obvious reasons in the past. You mentioned just now that South Korea and Japan are allies. They are not. South Korea and Japan are allies by association. They have a common ally, the United States, but they themselves are not allies. In fact, just today, uh, a spokesman from the Moon Jae-in campaign said that South Korea is not yet ready for a U.S.-Japan-South Korean alliance to combat uh, North Korea. And so Japan and South Korea are not allies. Now, you are correct that uh, most South Koreans do not really care about what North Korea does. We've been living under North Korean threats for decades, and so we, uh, we don't really we're not as concerned as the rest of the world tends to be. But yes, you're right that as soon as Japan gets involved, the xenophobic um, nature among uh, the South Korean voters start to emerge. Now, do South Koreans legitimately fear Japanese ambitions? There is some talk of that, especially among the fringe right-wing groups on uh, online. However, I don't think it's so much fear, but rather just um, programmed resentment that the South Koreans are, uh, are expressing. So let's move in now to um, these real, if you will, contemporary issues that we're dealing with right this moment. Um, you've already talked about THAAD and some other things, but let's kind of talk about THAAD. Um, THAAD was moved up. The deployment of THAAD was moved up, I believe, um, because of these provocations, as they're always called, out of North Korea. And I believe now that uh, I did see that it's, it's online. Uh, Trump had asked for a billion dollars from the South Korean government to pay for that. But as you already alluded to, um, there apparently were documents between the two countries that exist showing that that was not the deal that was going to be happening. And now he's trying to change that deal, along with the free trade agreement between the two countries that you already mentioned. So let's talk about THAAD. Obviously, this is something that the United States wants. They want missile protection from the missiles that are being developed that could perhaps one day carry a nuclear warhead. God forbid, um, anywhere, but uh, of course the United States is worried about um, the west coast of the United States and, and areas around that location. So um, how do you think THAAD will continue to work now that Donald Trump has said so many things about it that have, as you mentioned, increased some resentment that in the past was a little higher and is now trickling back up, um, and how this might change, as you just mentioned, Moon Jae-in, if he wins the election. He's 
Um, he at one point had a stance on Thad that's, um, I don't know if you want to say softened. I think it's, it's changed a little bit during the election. Candidate Mundane used to be firmly opposed to Thad, but not long after his initial opposition, he changed his position to be more ambiguous. He said that the next administration should decide what uh, happened with Thad. And that's the constant. That's a constant theme that he's been harping on. That the next administration, meaning his, should decide what to do with that. Now, I think the reason why he's saying that is because he knows that when even if he does become president, he won't be able to reverse this decision. This decision was made by the previous Park Geun-hye government and by the Hwang Kyo-an government, by the Hwang Kyo-an um, acting president as well. And so although a lot of politicians are saying that this move is illegitimate, that uh, it's uh, a violation of Korea's sovereignty, as some politicians have said, no, this is perfectly legal. Yes, it is a little unorthodox for it to have been sped up as quickly as it has been, but uh, Moon Jae-in will most likely not be able to reverse it. Now, what is likely going to happen is either in 2018 or 2019, I can't remember which year it'll be, the United States and South Korea are going to renegotiate cost sharing regarding the alliance. Now, when this renegotiation comes up, then it is quite likely that THAAD will be on the table again. Right now, the United States has agreed to pay entirely for THAAD. But it is possible, more than possible, that Donald Trump is going to insist that South Korea pays more at that time when the renegotiation takes place. You finished out your article that we're talking about from nknews.org titled How Donald Trump is Seriously Undermining the South Korea-U.S. Alliance with this, quote, a closely allied, coordinated, and united U.S.-South Korean alliance is vital to any effort to contain and deter North Korea. President Donald Trump, however, has done everything that he could possibly do, short of unilaterally declaring war, to alienate South Korea, one of America's most vital allies. So that being the case, as you just mentioned, perhaps um, concerning that, what might happen um, when Moon Jae-in most likely wins the presidency, how do you see this moving forward? I think it's safe to say that Donald Trump is going to keep tweeting, he's going to keep being Donald Trump, and might make some other comments here or there that might alienate um, South Koreans even more, might stir up things on the Korean Peninsula. But what's your, what's your general outlook on this? It, I guess, once again, to play devil's advocate, Donald Trump, especially with, with China, trying to bring China into this discussion to put pressure on North Korea, which in all fairness to him appears to be working, he has softened on a lot of things that he said as candidate Trump. Do you think he might continue to do that? And we might have less... Um, bumbling fiascos one after the other, as you mentioned earlier in the article? Or do you think we might um, not have such a rosy outlook, if you will, to call that a rosy outlook that I just explained now? I'm not sure if anyone can predict that it'll be all bad or all good, because Donald Trump, being the man that he is, is going to have multiple different positions on any given day. And so we're not quite sure as to what to expect from him. But what we can expect from the rest of the world, and this has been a, an increasing sort of signs, especially in Asia, is that a lot uh, is, is that an increasing number of people are beginning to realize that Donald Trump is a man to be ignored. For example, Trump just said that the South Korea is going to pay the one billion dollars for that, but. You know, two days after President Trump said that, his national security advisor came to Seoul and he said, uh, no, that's not going to happen. We are going to honor our agreement. And so if Trump's own people are going to contradict him, then this, then 
it's not just the South Korean government, but everyone else is going to say, oh, we're not going to listen to the president, but we are going to listen to his advisors. We're going to listen to his cabinet uh, mem uh, members. And so there is going to be a, a lot of confusion regarding uh, the alliance with the United States or maybe not so alliances, partnerships, or even adversary relations uh, with the United States. Uh, you mentioned that um, to place devil's advocate, he, uh, he has also gotten China quite on board to help with the North Korean situation. I disagree with that. A lot of uh, people are pointing to the fact that the Chinese government has said that they are not going to purchase any more coal from the North Koreans this year in order to uh, punish them for their nuclear missile tests. And I believe I, I saw some photos or at least I saw a write-up or two talking about how some of the ships had been turned around. They, uh, yes, some of those ships had to supposedly turn around. But there are other reports that suggest that the reason why the Chinese had decided to make this uh, uh, had decided to make this move was because they already front loaded all of their coal shipments early in the year. They already bought their years worth of coal from the North Koreans within these first three months, within the first five months of the year, rather. And so they don't need to buy anymore. And instead of buying coal, now they're buying iron. From the, from the North Koreans. And so to suggest that the Chinese are honoring the, the spirit of the agreement to sanction North Korea, I think, is, is just a big mistake. I think it's uh, far too soon to assume that the Chinese are ever on our side in regards to North Korea. And so let's expand that. Aside from that specific coal issue that you talked about, these other reports that China is putting pressure on North Korea, what do you think about that? Do you think that's actually happening? Do you think that that might have happened without Trump? Has he had any positive effect on the relationship that the United States has with China regarding, um, you know, China is really the only player at the table that has direct connection to North Korea to, to do the things that we're talking about now that could perhaps push them away from more provocations, as they're always called, or perhaps, you know, sometime down the line, actually denuclearize themselves. What do you think about China's role that we're seeing right now? China will always do what is best for China. Regard, uh, and this doesn't, um, this is not just uh, about North Korea, but regarding anything else. It doesn't matter if Donald Trump is president or if Hillary Clinton had been elected president. What China will always do is look out for its own interests. And as far as North Korea's provocations goes, it is attracting more and more uh, attention from Washington and not the kind of attention that China wants with aircraft carriers and battleships and submarines all uh, coming into the area with that uh, being operation as well. The Chinese are rightfully getting nervous. Now, yeah, China is obviously not for that. That's created actually a lot of conflict with South Korea when it comes to tourism and other industries. There's almost, if you will, a boycott of South Korea by China at this point. Uh, unofficial boycotts with the Chinese government is still able to officially deny. But yes, there is quite a bit of strife between Seoul and Beijing because of that. And so Beijing is greatly annoyed with North Korea. However, China's ultimate goal is not to see a reunified Korean peninsula. They want to see the North Korean government propped up. Now, maybe they might not have a lot of love for Kim Jong-un. Maybe they prefer to have someone who's a lot more uh, compliant to Beijing's wishes sitting in Pyongyang. But regardless of who is in charge of North Korea, they want North Korea to remain standing. And so China will always maintain their position and will always try to pursue their goals to the best of their abilities. But short of regime change, and obviously that would be probably further down the road if that ever happened, um, might the best, you talk about China always will do what's best for China, might 
the Trump administration or the United States or whoever it is make the case, perhaps correctly so, that the best thing for China would be to kind of have North Korea tone down everything that it's doing? Might there still be some sort of deal that works out for everyone? A deal that works out for everyone? I'm not sure if there is if such a deal exists. Uh, North Korea has already insisted numerous times over the years that they are never going to abandon their nuclear weapons. And as because North Korea stated this, the game's already over before it can even begin. If North Korea doesn't abandon its nuclear weapons, then no progress can be made. And so I think uh, the hopes for a deal that everyone can be happy with, I think that's, um, that's a pipe dream. Wishful thinking, sure. Well, John Lee, before we say goodbye, if you had, you know, king for a day, if you were, I don't know, president of the United States, president of South Korea, someone with power in China, what what do you think is the best option here, given that we live in the world that we live in and, you know, consequences are out there? Um, what do you think is the best way to move forward here? Perhaps not a deal that everyone enjoys, but perhaps a deal that everyone can live with, or if it doesn't just maintain the status quo that we have now, perhaps even, you know, make it a little bit better. Unfortunately, the best option does not necessarily mean that it is good. North Korea doesn't have any good solutions. We can only pick the best of the worst solutions. And the best of the worst solutions out there is to maintain the current strategies that we have, which is to deter and contain North Korea as much as possible. Yes, that means that they will continue to build nuclear weapons and continue to test them to their heart's content. And yes, that also means that a lot of North Koreans will continue to starve and be imprisoned in their political prison camps. But in order to protect and um, in order to protect and preserve the interests and the rights of hundreds of millions of people around the Northeast Asian region, it is an unfortunate fact that that is the best option that we have right now. And therefore, the current strategies that are used to contain and deter North Korea is to firstly push through with sanctions, make North Korea more isolated from the rest of the world, kick it out of SWIFT. If it is discovered that they are hacking foreign banks, try to recover that money as much as possible. Try to protect banks from North Korean hackers as much as possible. Try to isolate North Korea through uh, through um, naval blockades. Make sure that their ships are not carrying any sort of illicit weapons. Make sure that they cannot buy any sort of luxury items. These are the things that are eventually going to erode the North Korean government. And so these policies, these strategies have to be maintained to the best of their abilities. Just one small question here. Um, I just interviewed um, actually a college friend of mine who went to the Pyongyang Marathon um, some years back. I think it was, if I remember correctly, 2014 or 2015 was where she went. And she had a very good time. Um, you know, she, she obviously was very knowledgeable of the situation and didn't pretend like North Korea wasn't what North Korea is. Um, but she, you know, ha- had a very enjoyable time. She thought she learned a lot about North Korea. And she encouraged other people to participate in, in that type of um, event if, if, you know, if, if they were interested in running the marathon or I think you can actually do a half marathon as well, which would be <laughs> preferable for someone like myself if even I could get to a half marathon. What do you think about these ways that people reach out to North Korea, if you will, um, the, the tours, the marathon, engaging North Korea? Is it possible to have those while doing those other things, the sanctions that you just mentioned? Or in your mind, are those ideas bad? Are those counterproductive? Now, this takes us away from this current discussion of international politics and takes it into the moral realm. And I can only speak from my uh, from my perspective. And I think that participating in these sporting events and these cultured events is reprehensible. 
And the reason why I say that is because by taking part in these sorts of events, we are helping to legitimize and normalize the North Korean regime. We have to remember that once again, this is a government that stood by and did nothing while millions of its own people starved to death. And starvation might not be as big as big of a problem in North Korea as it was in 1994, but there are millions of people who are still heavily under and malnourished in North Korea, whereas Kim Jong-un probably weighs more than 300 pounds right now. This is not a country that we should ever normalize. And by participating in these events, people might feel good because they're, uh, oh, I don't know, they're helping to expand soft power and soft people-to-people diplomacy. Unfortunately, I don't think that's really going to work. I think it's just going to help to legitimize an evil regime. Well, take that to my friend from college. <laughs> no, I, I understand this perspective that you're you're bringing up there. I'm not exactly sure what I what I think about that. Um, as an American, I I don't think it's a very good idea to go to North Korea, as we know people have been prevented from leaving. I think um a, a, a now third person is is being held in North Korea who has a American citizenship. A professor, yes. Yeah, so it's it's a risky thing to do. Um, but I know people who have gone there three or four times and um, they've had no problems whatsoever. So yeah, I. In my mind, the jury's still out on that one. Um, I, I see the points that you're making, and then also um, j- just, and this is also this is another episode on Korea FM that you can listen to um, when you subscribe to our podcast. Um, she just, when you cut a country off from everyone, um, there are consequences of that. And one of the things that my my college friend talked about was that she met North Koreans in the street. Actually, when she was running, they didn't have like barriers up. And so she was. She like went and talked to um, a, a man and, and what appeared to be his daughter or his granddaughter, and she like shook hands with them. and And I think that those types of connections, while they're you know kind of trivial and small, when you multiply them by however many people who have that experience and stuff, perhaps something good could come from that. So I definitely see both perspectives on that issue. But I of course thank you for giving me the perspective that you just brought to the table here now. So I've been speaking with uh, John Lee. He's a political blogger based here in uh, South Korea, uh, based here in South Korea, and also a writer from nknews.org. You can uh, check out his article titled "How Donald Trump Is Seriously Undermining the South Korea-U.S. Alliance." But I believe uh, NK News does have a paywall, so you'll have to throw a few bucks their way. Otherwise, uh, John Lee, it's been great speaking with you. I appreciate you uh, kind of outlining um, all the different stances that you know not very typical candidate and then now President Donald Trump has made. And perhaps uh, later on in the future, uh, we'll be able to check in with you and uh, see what's going on on the Korean Peninsula sometime here down the road. Thank you for having me. It was a great pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Podcast Assist, offering voiceovers, audio editing and mastering, transcriptions and show notes, episode summaries, and even hosting a podcast on a topic important to you. Visit facebook.com slash podcast assist for more info on their flat $30 per hour rate. Talk radio, music, and podcasts from the Korean Peninsula. KoreaFM.net.